Hello and welcome to this month's Mideast Junction. In Iran, it has been obligatory for women to wear a headscarf or hijab since 1983 in the wake of the 1979 revolution. Since then, women have been forced to wear the long loose-fitting chador and the hijab. To make sure the law is respected, morality police patrol the streets. But two online movements are showing people, inside and outside the country, that Iranian women want to choose. The movements are known as My Stealthy Freedom and White Wednesdays. They're not opposed to wearing the hijab necessarily, but they are opposed to being forced, by law, to wear it. And they're willing to risk everything for the right to choose. My Stealthy Freedom was launched in 2014 just because of a picture of myself. There was a picture of me running in a beautiful street in London which was full of blossoms. And I, I wrote this caption every time when I run in a free country and I feel the wind in my hair. It just reminds me of the time when my hair was like a hostage in the hands of Iranian government. This is the woman behind these two movements, Masi Alinejad, an Iranian journalist and writer now living in exile in the United States. And that picture got a lot of attention of Iranian women, like envying at my freedom from compulsory job. So I decided to publish another picture of myself, which was taken inside Iran, driving down a road toward my hometown, but unveiled. So I wrote another caption, which says, I am a woman and I know that there are many women in Iran who do not believe in hijab. They have such picture which I called the stealthy freedom. It means that, you know, you take off your headscarf and you don't see the police around. So I ask the women whether they want to publish their stealthy freedom to talk about it publicly, openly. And I was like bombarded by pictures and videos from women inside Iran, unveiling themselves, walking in the street, taking pictures of themselves in the street, you know, in front of police car or in seaside, in nature. So that is how my stealthy freedom was born. From a few selfies, the movement has grown inside Iran and internationally. After three years, all the media were aware of our campaign. All the clerics, Iranian state TV, media inside and outside Iran, they were talking about our movement. Even two journalists from France, they took one of the pictures from my stealthy freedom and confronted the president of Iran by one of the pictures and asking him about compulsory hijab, challenging him about the, the laws that he was the main actually architect to oppose this law on women of Iran. And then I thought, so now this is the time. We have to shift this online movement to something offline. That is why actually I launched White Wednesdays like last year. Uh, 24th of May, I picked the color white, which is the color of peace, and I picked the day Wednesday, and I asked women of my selfie freedom to identify each other in public, to meet each other in public. And then again, I got many videos of women taking off their white headscarf and walking sometimes shoulder to shoulder with their husband, their fathers, their you know, boyfriends, and saying no to compulsory hijab in public, which is a punishable crime. The penalty for not wearing your hijab in Iran? Women risk 10 months to two years in prison. Last March, a woman was sentenced to two years in jail for doing just that, taking off her veil in public. And as Massey explains, girls are required to wear one from a young age. As a girl from the age of seven, if you don't wear hijab, then you won't be able to get a job. You won't be able to go to school. You won't be able to live in your own country. And every day there are morality police 
and they find you, they arrest you, they warn you, and they send you to the court. These are the punishments. In 1979, Iran deposed its Shah and established a theocracy. Since then, the laws of the country have been tied directly to Islamic law, or Sharia. It's the job of the top religious cleric, the supreme leader, to ensure the government's interpretation of Islam is respected, particularly by women. Women are not allowed to take off the headscarf in Iran. Women are not allowed to be a judge in, in Islamic Republic of Iran. Women are not allowed to ride a bicycle, are not allowed to sing solo. So we are not even allowed to travel abroad without getting permission from our husband. You're not even allowed to get a passport without getting permission from your husband. And these are the things that the government of Iran saying that these are the Sharia laws and you have to respect it. That is why I strongly believe if some people think that these are not the true Islam, then this is their responsibility to condemn anything which is happening in the name of Sharia laws and Islamic laws inside Iran and other Muslim countries. Where did this obligation for Iranian women to cover their hair come from? In Islam, the main beliefs come directly from the Quran, the holy book. For Muslims, the word of God was dictated directly to the Prophet Muhammad. Iran's religious leaders point to its verses to explain why Muslims have to behave in a particular way. Marilyn Davies is an Islamic scholar and former director of the Muslim Institute in London. She says that in the Quran there are eight references to the hijab. None of them have anything to do with clothing. There are two verses in the Quran which address the question of clothing. And neither of them uh, refer to it in any term that people would understand as hijab, shadur, abaya, kaab, any of the things that you do the controversy about Muslim women's clothing concerning. Now, the most important verse in the Quran is chapter 24, verse 31. And this is the thing that annoys me. It says, it calls on women to lower their gaze and be mindful of their chastity and to draw their head covering over their bosom. The whole point about this is the passage actually begins in chapter 24, verse 30, where it calls upon men to lower their gaze and be mindful of their chastity. So that actually it's about modesty as an interior condition. It's about uniforms and pieces of cloth. It is about finding a middle way that avoids the objectification and commodification of men or women, reducing them to outward appearances alone. The other text that is sacred to Muslims is the hadith, the sayings or traditions of the Prophet Muhammad. There are hadith which recommend that women wear modest clothing that leaves visible their feet, their hands and their face. That immediately rules out abayas, niqabs, and shaduas. And one place where you will never see is in the Haramain, the sacred mosque in Mecca. Because there, the Hadith ruling, at its most extreme, is the norm. So, the whole idea that faith is necessary, or proper, is not applicable in the most sacred space 
in Islam. These are some of the anomalies that one has to deal with. Hadith are, in many senses, a debatable territory. How they came about in history is in terms of how do we interpret And many of them are questionable. And you will find that if you actually sit Muslim scholars, Islamic scholars down in a quiet room, you know, dark windows and all the rest of it, and you say to them, is it obligatory for women to cut her hair? They will tell you, well, actually not. If countries make laws based on sacred texts, Merrill says this sometimes puts the onus only on one part of society. You certainly have the problem that women are regarded as the custodians of righteousness of the community. Men are weak and women must therefore cover, be secluded because men are weak and they can't control themselves. As I pointed out right at the beginning here, the recommendation to lower your gaze and be mindful of your chastity begins by addressing men and then addresses women. Because the Quran constantly addresses itself believing men and believing women, believing women and believing men. There is an equality in this. You cannot have a righteous society which it says Virtue must be guarded by 50% of the population, and the other 50% can forget about it. Images on social media of Iranian women defying the government's rule of enforced hijab are challenging this. In these videos and photos, Iranian women, often accompanied and supported by men, defy the rules and walk about in public without being covered. But there are risks. Some have been arrested by the morality police. Now the government cannot ignore our movement. And they're actually talking about the removal of compulsory hijab laws. But I have to say, these women of my Stelsi Freedom campaign, White Wednesday's campaign, the girls of Revolution Streets, these are the rebellion people and they are not waiting for compulsory hijab to be removed. They remove compulsory hijab themselves in the street of Tehran. They're practicing their civil disobedience, although they know that it's punishable crime, but they think that freedom is not free and they are ready to pay price like Shah Parak, like Shima Babai, like, um, you know, Vidama Vahedi and many other women, even after when they got released, some of them still protesting against compulsory hijab. Some of them, we don't know what happened to them, but these people who are free right now, like Shah Parak and Shima Babai, if you go to their Instagram page, you will see they're still protesting against compulsory hijab. That means for 40 years, there were just the people of Iran, especially the women that had the fear inside their heart. But now this is the government that fears its own people, especially the women of Iran. In 2014 alone, police in Tehran were reported to have warned, stopped and sent to court some 3.6 million women for wearing an inappropriate hijab. Many were sent by the morality police to attend special classes. But in February this year, close to 30 women were said to have been arrested for taking part in a protest without a hijab. You can follow these movements and its newer ones on Instagram and Twitter at hashtag MyStealthyFreedom, White Wednesdays, My Camera Is My Weapon, and Girls of Revolution Street. 
That's all the time we have for this month's edition of Midi's Junction with me, Anne-Marie Bissada. Special thank you to Alain Bleu, our sound producer, for his help in this report.